right, let's go to the word of the Lord. Now, here's the thing. My wife leaned over a while ago and she said, now, Mark, you know when you get tired, you ramble. So you guys are going to appreciate the fact that she's here tonight. And it is 328 in California. A.M. So I am not responsible for anything I'm about to say right now. I'm out of my mind. Amen. And I may start hallucinating here in a little bit. You never know. Amen. So Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 1. And he shewed me a pure river of water of life. It wasn't just a river. It was a river of the water of life. Clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. I really like this part, but the throne of God and of the Lamb. If you ever wonder if Jesus is God, just read that verse. I don't see three thrones there. There's only one throne. I'll say it again. There's only one throne. There's only one sitting on the throne. Now, if it's Jesus, the Lamb, then the Father and the Holy Ghost got ripped off. They didn't get a throne. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about the altar and the throne. The altar and the throne. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for your presence and your spirit tonight. I'm asking you to equip us and to give us a clear mind and a clear spirit. Let us speak as an oracle of God. Take authority in this service in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you confirm your word, not my word, but your word with signs following. I speak it in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Turn to somebody and shake their hand while you're being seated and say, I expect the river to flow tonight. Amen. I have given over 30 years of my ministry preaching about a vision that God gave me 33 years ago. Man, it, time flies. In the vision I seen from the heavens, a fire that was coming toward the earth. I watched as it splintered and is like these little balls of fire was hurling toward the earth, going to different geographical areas. When the, the main one, come into our sanctuary, this was by vision, came into the sanctuary. It hit in front of the pulpit, which used to intrigue me. Why didn't it hit the pulpit? Why did it hit in front of the pulpit? And when it did, there was like an explosion, and out of it came angels with swords drawn. And the word of the Lord was, the darkness will not prevail against the light. The darkness will not prevail against the light. I don't know what you're fighting. I don't know what's going on in your area. But I can assure you that the darkness cannot prevail against the light. And that God has a warring host. A warring host. I'm not here to make it mystical tonight, but I believe that there is a warring host that God has. And they do and move at his bidding. Amen. A few weeks ago, the Lord dealt with me and said, look at the word host. So I got to looking at it and was kind of a little amazed because when it says he's Lord of hosts, I always thought that was the commander of the angels. But I found out that the word host does not just include angels. It includes all of creation all the way down to the atoms. God uses creation as a part of his army. Now, if you don't believe that, just read over in the Old Testament where it's talking about Sisera and how that the stars in their course and the river Kidron fought against you. 
God can use stars. He can use rivers. He can use bugs. I think I heard Brother Woodward talk about that one time. God can use bugs. I'll send hornets before you drive them out. So don't just think that all that God has is the angels, which was enough, but he has all of creation to use to help us. Amen. And so I, I believe that that's a, it's becoming a reality. Not it's going to, but it's becoming a reality. I know that the next time I seen it, it wasn't angels that came out of it, but it was young men, and I don't think it's just leaving out the females here, but it was young men with Bibles in their hands bent in a forward motion, and they were going out, and the Lord spoke that time and said, this is how I will set the world on fire. I will ignite local congregations, and coming out of those long, long, local congregations will be ministers of fire and everything that is combustible that they touch will ignite in a Holy Ghost fire. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. Amen. I think that the revival that we're after has to come from the local church. I don't think we can give you a program that promotes revival or produces revival. I think it has to be in the local church and it has to be an organic something that happens. Did I lose you right there? Amen. And so third time that God dealt me about the fire was uh, my question to him was, how do we get the fire? You've shown me two times this fire. You've shown me two messengers of the fire. But how do we get the fire? And then it was very clear, follow the instructions and follow the example of Elijah. And so, of course, that's the most popular one. So I went to look at the story of Elijah, and he's called the nation to the top of Mount Carmel. He's, uh, he, he starts out with this, how long halt ye between two opinions? In other words, you're, you're walking crippled because you want to have Jehovah but then you also want to add all of these other gods, which cripples you as a nation. I think all of our nations need to be reminded of that, that he is Lord. He is God. He's not one of God's. He is the only God that there is. And God doesn't fit with us trying to add him to a long list of gods. And so Elijah challenged them on the top of Mount Carmel. Now watch what happens. He then begins, he allowed those guys to go first. He said, all right, you guys go ahead and uh, let's see what you can produce. And so, man, they went at it, I mean, all day long. They were calling on their gods and they even got to cutting themselves. I mean, they were just frantic. And, uh, and he, oh, Elijah was kind of enjoying it. He started making fun of them. Boy, y'all are quiet out there, Amen. I mean, he, he was really having a good time about that moment. He just, you know, where is your God? I guess he went on a vacation. <laughs> Read it, that's what he was saying. I guess he went on a vacation. Maybe he went on a camping trip. Maybe he's asleep. One translation says maybe he's gone to the restroom. <laughs> Which I found amusing, Amen. But the fact is, he just was antagonizing them. And finally, he said, okay, y'all had long enough. You've had all day. It's time for the evening sacrifice. And so watch what happens. Elijah starts by rebuilding the altar. If the fire of God is going to fall in my life, your life, in our congregations and in our nations, it has to start with us rebuilding the altars. Amen. And so he took 12 stones, which if you read the story, it represented the 12 tribes. Before they were tribes, they were brothers. So in other words, God was calling Israel back together, not as tribes, not different districts, not different sections, but he was calling them back to the altar as the family of God. And I think that that's so important to all of us here today. And I don't, I'm, I'm, 
Don't misread what I'm saying. I thank God for all of the organization. But before you were districts, before you were national churches, before you were sections or however you do it here, you were a family. And we need to be reminded that we are the family of God. And that if the fire of God is going to fall, it's going to fall at the altar. Now, I've preached that and preached it and preached it and cast vision, talked about it. And, uh, and I've, I found out a few weeks ago that it was kind of incomplete. And I'll explain that here in just a second. Uh, if I followed the example of Elijah, it wasn't just the fire that fell, but it was also that God opened the heavens and rain began to fall. Mm. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you that you know, when Jesus, or John the Baptist, was talking about Jesus coming, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Anybody ever heard that before? And I mean, man, we Pentecostals, the fire of God, you know, hey, the fire of God. But you got to remember that when he was preaching that, uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a positive message. When he said he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, he was talking about God judging. Because then he goes on to say whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge the floor. And if you understand that, then the, he was going to willow the, the chaff from the wheat and then whatever was chaff, he's going to burn it. And that's exactly what he was talking about. When we get to talking about our God as a fire, you've got to remember that our God is described not just as fire, but our God is described as a consuming fire. The fire of God does not fall just to be falling for a sensational sideshow to a bunch of spoiled Pentecostals. But if the fire of God is going to fall, then that means somebody has had to have built an altar and not just build an altar. They've had to put something on that altar called a sacrifice in order for God to consume it. I want to say it again. God doesn't just appear to be appearing. If you're going to have the fire of God in your life, then that means that you've got to put yourself on the altar and let God consume out of you everything that's not like him and everything that is chaff. Now, if you don't believe what I'm talking about, read the epistle of Peter where he starts talking about the first time that God judged the world, he did it with water. Now, remember the same water that destroyed the world saved Noah. And so instead of it being water, again, it's now going to be fire. But just as water saved Noah, destroyed the world, the fire of God is going to do the same thing. The fire of God is going to destroy the world. Read it, it's in there. He's going to melt it with a fervent heat. He's going to rid the world of all unrighteousness. But I think that the fire of God that's going to destroy the world saves us. Amen. Our God is a consuming fire. So let me put it to you like this. You're going to burn. Sooner or later, you're going to burn. You can burn now or you can burn then, but everything's going to burn. Everything that is not like God is going to be consumed. So I suggest that the apostolic church get back to the altar put our stinking selves on the altar and let God burn out of us everything that he needs to burn. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I was preaching for Brother Aaron Bounds, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, whatever it was, and we had a prophecy and a young man in the church who was not aware of a lot of this stood and prophesied and said, you've asked me for my fire and my fire is reserved in the heavens. Above this community is my fire. The only thing my fire seeks is an altar. If you will build me an altar, my fire will fall. Now, before I get into this really strong, I want to tell you something, that the altar is not a place of prayer. You can pray, but not have an altar. Uh-oh. That went over real well. Well, I pray, so I got an altar. No, not necessarily. The altar is a place of death. It's where you put something on and slay it. You get rid of it. So you can pray, but pray amiss. You're praying out of your own understanding. You're praying out of your own ideas. 
But until you learn how to put yourself, including your will, that is the biggest battle we all have in here. You know, don't blame the devil. I get so sick and tired of people. Oh, the devil, the devil, the devil. You got to have something to blame. The devil made me do it. Really. The devil come into your room, took the paper out, put all the pot marijuana in it, wrote it up, stuck it in your mouth and lit it. The devil. I've got a few might try to use that one, amen. The devil made me do it. Now the devil... The devil hasn't made you do anything. You sin when you're drawn away by your own lust. Quit blaming the devil for all your dysfunction and everything. Just, you gotta quit, you, you get rid of that excuse. Amen. I, I heard somebody the other day say, well, you know, you just have to understand where this guy's come from. You have to understand it. I'm going to get in trouble right here. You have to understand where he comes from. You have to understand his past and all that stuff. And I just said, and I'm not compassionate. I mean, Brother Woodward is the most compassionate, kind, easygoing. So when y'all brought us together, you've got an ox and an ass plowing here together. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I just, I just got tired of hearing it. They just kept using it for an excuse for him to act like an idiot. And I said, I'm tired of hearing that. He can only use that for so long. You're supposed to be changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's his old nature. He's supposed to crucify it. Ooh, boy, you're locked up right there. Quit blaming everything on your past and the devil and all that. And I understand we deal with things and all, and it does sometimes bother us, but eventually you need to get victory over some of these things. Praise God. Man, I don't know who turned that light on, but I feel like Saul. <laughs> who art thou, Lord? I don't know, maybe it's a cue for me to hurry up. I don't know. <laughs> Amen. Let, let, me, let me just, before I get moved from the altar, here, here's the thing. The biggest struggle that you will ever have is just getting rid of your will to do the will of God. Everybody in this room has a tendency to be self-willed. Mm. But I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't say it's unreasonable. It's your reasonable service. It's talking about being a true worshiper. This is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you might. Anybody remember the rest of that? Prove the perfect, acceptable, and good will of God, however that order goes. Now, I know people that teach there's three levels to the will of God. There's the good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. I, I don't, you know, it's not bingo. <laughs> I just think the will of God's good, acceptable, and perfect. But don't be conformed, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. It all starts by the renewing of the mind. The word renewing there means better. So God says, I want to take your mind and I'd like to give you a better mind. But the only way that you will ever get my mind is for you to present your body as a living sacrifice. See, when I go to the altar and I put myself on the altar, I have to put my will on the altar my desires on the altar. And I have to leave it there and allow God to consume out of me my will, my desires, my ways. Ooh. Now, I know some of you think you're God, but you're not. 
I mean, you think you know how God ought to operate it, but you're not God. Boy, I'm going to mess this service up right now. That's the whole problem with us. We get a word from God and we think we got it figured out. I mean, it's filtered through all of your life experiences. It's filtered through your expectations. And if you're not careful, by the time it proceeds out of you, I call it the NIV. The nearly inspired vision or version. Because it's had to filter through all this. It's, it's got to filter through the way you think that God ought to do it. Now, if you don't think this is a dilemma, remember John the Baptist. I mean, he's on the banks of Jordan. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And now he's in prison and he's sending some messengers to Jesus, his cousin, saying, are you he or do we look for another? Well, make up your mind, John. He's either the Lamb of God or he's not the Lamb of God. Now, why did he question it? He questioned it because he thought he knew what it meant when he said, I must decrease, he must increase. He thought that he'd just get bumped down to maybe like an assistant or high-ranking court official, but he didn't expect for him to about to lose his head. And Jesus said, you go tell my cousin that I said the lame walk, the blind see, the dumb talk, and blessed is he that's not offended in me. One translation says, go tell John to let me run my business the way I want to run my business. And all of us at times, whether we like to admit it or not, we've sent messengers to him saying, this is not going the way I thought it was going to go. I perceived it to go this way, to look this way, but it's not going that way. Ooh, prophecy is only in part. When it's a prophecy, you only get a piece of the puzzle. So quit trying to make just a piece of something that's some total of everything, and you just have to put it in the hands of God and say, all right, God, I believe this is a word from you, and you execute it the way you want it executed, and you perform it the way that you want to perform it. I'll just go prove what is the will of God is what I'm gonna do. Clap your hands and magnify the Lord. Somebody shout a praise unto God right now. I think I'm gonna switch to this side. Nope, it's there too, amen. We got two gods now. Now, just, just, now what's the next verse? What's the next verse? A man should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, for God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I've been in Pentecost all my life, and I know how we preach that. But I think we may have misunderstood something there. When he says the measure of faith, he's not saying, okay, when I give the Holy Ghost, everybody got a measure of faith. The measure of faith is determined by what God spoke to you. So when God spoke to you to give you a better mind and said, this is my will, that is the measure of your faith. Now, if you go on down two or three more verses, if you're going to prophesy, prophesy according to the portion of faith. It's the same terminology. I, I hear people get up all the time and saying, I'm just going to prophesy something. Well, go ahead, hotshot. I don't know if I should use some of these words here or not. Amen. Go, go ahead, hotshot. You just get up there and say whatever you want to say. God doesn't have to back you up. God's not bound to your word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So your faith is determined by when God speaks to you and says, this is the boundaries, this is the perimeter, this is what I'm gonna do. Now don't go beyond it. If you go beyond it, you think of yourself more highly. Boy, I, I'd set my timer and I'm afraid it's gonna go off here in just a second, amen. Now, let me, Brother Sill, let me come up here. I want, I want to pick on my California friend here. Amen. And uh, I need, who's the other guy sitting down there? Yeah, come on. What's your name, son? Gideon. Gideon? Hey, I finally met Gideon. <laughs> A mighty man of valor. Okay. Now, Brother Sill, I want you to come up here, and I'm going to be God. Yes, sir. And I'm going to set the perimeter of your faith. I want you to go seven steps and stop. Now that is the measure of faith. 
Now I want you to go three steps and stop. All right. Did you do what I said? Yeah, you did. So I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know how to answer this here. <laughs> now here's the deal. I set both of their measures. Success in God's world is not about your numbers. It's about your obedience. In the eyes of God, this guy is successful as that guy because both of them has fulfilled my will and done exactly what I told them to do. Are you married? No. Oh my. What's wrong with you guys? And how old are you? Thirty-two. Oh, come here. Come up here. Come, come closer. Jesus. Lord, well, he's in Australia. Let him meet the love of his life. Because he's wasting a lot of good time, Lord. Now, this is not going to work. I need you to be married, okay? No, 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 no. Pretend. She, now, listen, she's out here somewhere. So, you know, you go three steps and you stop and you got this wife over here and she says, well, what's wrong with you? Boy, it is locking up right now. <laughs> he got to go seven steps. You only got to go three. You lack initiative. Don't, don't make my mama right about you. <laughs> she told me you were a lazy bum. She told me that you'd have no ambition. And so because of pressure and because of pride, he now decides, I know there's four more steps. And then he gets to comparing himself. And Paul said, when you do that, you're not wise. Are y'all with me here tonight? And so the moment that you take the fourth step, According to that verse, you've now assumed the position of God. You know. You're beyond the boundaries. Oh, boy. Y'all better sit down because the stones are getting ready to start flying, I'm afraid. That's the altar. The altar is where you alter your life. The altar is where you finally get in proper alignment with God. If you go back to Jacob and the ladder and all that stuff, why is there an ascending and descending of angels there? Because it is the place of the altar. This is where his grandfather, Abraham, built his first altar in the land of Canaan. It is a sacred place. Because not, not only did he just build altars, but every time he built an altar, he was proclaiming territory. That's why when Joshua and them finally come into the land of promise, the first four places that they visit, I believe, were the altars in the vicinity of the altars that Abraham built because he built an altar and established the covenant and said, this belongs to God. Ooh. And so now he gets there. He's not there in the right motive. He's running in fear of his life. And he gets there, and all of a sudden he takes a nap, and he wakes up and says, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Now, that doesn't mean he's ignorant to a visitation. What he's saying is, is God dwells in this geographical place, and I didn't know it. To me, it was just a story. But altars are a sacred place. And when he finally realized that, he said, This is none other but the house of God and the gate of heaven, and seen angels ascending and descending upon it. Now, what happens is, is when you build the altar and you start aligning yourself with the will of God, you have now created an open heaven. What is in the heavens can now flow to the earth and vice versa. But you cannot get to the throne of God without first coming by the altar. I just walk in anytime I want to. No, you don't. I hate to tell you, no, you don't. 
Have you ever read that verse of scripture, man's gift will make room for him, bring before great men? Anybody remember that verse? How many of you have ever heard that verse before? Come on, let me see your hands. I've heard that verse. Normally we say, just be patient. Eventually your gift's gonna make room for you and you're gonna get to preach. It's not what that verse means either. It means that you cannot get in the presence of a great man without bringing him a gift. So you don't just appear in the throne room of God any way you want to appear. You have to bring him a gift. That means you've got to put your, and the best gift you can give him is you. And when you give him you, you now have access to the throne of God. And the throne of God, the throne of God is where the will of God is established. You cannot know what the will of God is until you get to the throne and the king specifically tells you, this is what I want you to do. Now, I'm just going to mess up really bad here. I get tired of going to meetings and people walking up. You got a word for me, Brother Morgan? Yeah, I got a word for you. I got a word for you. Go get your own. I had a boy walk up here, it's been a while back, and he said, uh, Brother Morgan, I, I, was, uh, I was praying the other day and the Lord said that uh, he's gonna do this, this, and this in my life, and he told me that I need to come to you because you'd fill in the blanks. <laughs> I mean, I was there three nights, each night, first night he comes, second night he walked up and said, you got that word for me? I said, no. <laughs> and I could tell he's a little disappointed, I could tell. And so the third night he come up, it's over, conference is over. He walked up and said, you got it? I said, no. And I could tell he wasn't disappointed, he was mad. And I, I, I knew it, I said, son, let me help you with something. When you were praying the other day, God said this, this, and this. I only left a couple things blank, right? He said, yeah. I said, why didn't God fill those blanks while he's telling you all this other stuff? I said, I'm gonna tell you what an elder told me. Are you so backslid that God has to put your mail in somebody else's mailbox? Now, I understand. Now, Brother Woodward, you may need to straighten all this up tomorrow. I don't know <laughs> if there's any salvaging of it. Amen. But, but, but here's the thing. In the Old Testament, we needed, and I believe in prophets. Very strong do I believe in prophets. But in the Old Testament, you needed them to receive a word from God to you directly. But this is the New Testament. You're supposed to have a relationship with God where you can get it directly for yourself. And prophets, I believe, work in affirmation or confirmation. I just want the Lord to speak to me. I tell you, go to the altar. It's not that complicated. Go to the altar, take your brain out, put it on the altar, and say, okay, God, now this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I have plans for, but I want to know what you want to do with my life, and I want to know what your plans are, and if you will do that, you'll get to the throne of God, and where the word of a king is, there is power. But read the rest of that. And who can question it? In other words, who would be foolish enough to say to the king, why are you doing this? Woo. Should I stop right now and have an altar call? I, I, I don't know. We, we, the only way to the throne. Now, let's go to the throne. All right, we spent all this time on the altar. We're going to spend a lot less time on the throne. The throne of God is where the will of the king is expressed. It's his sovereignty. It's where he rules from. Uh, when we align ourselves... That means, and this, this is scriptural, that means whatever the throne of God in the heavens is decreeing, declaring, when I align myself at the altar, it flows. Now, this is, this is me, okay, this is me. I think that there's a difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. I think that it's this. I think the kingdom of heaven is that. It's heaven. Let your will be done in earth even as it is in heaven. But the kingdom of God is where I align myself in my will with his will. And now the kingdom of God is made manifest in the earth. And if there was ever a time that we needed the kingdom of God to manifest in the earth. Now y'all get ready. We're getting ready to have miracles in this place tonight. It's, it's now. I, give, I put myself on the altar. I get to the throne of God. 
And this is where God decrees, this is where God establishes, this is where I need him to speak into my situation. And maybe you don't need God to speak in your situations, but I got two or three of them. I need him to speak in my situation. Now, I talked about the fire of God coming to the altar. And this is where I realized that the revelation, the vision that God gave me was not quite complete. Because if you remember, after Elijah called fire down, he prayed seven times. We weren't a drought. We need water. We need rain. Our, our rivers are dry. You ever felt like that before? My river's dry. And uh, now the Spirit of the Lord moves on him. He's out running Ahab's chariot. Now, it's too bad we didn't have the Olympics back then because he's out running Ahab's chariot and the rain begins to fall. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And when that rain falling, now it starts creating a flow, a river back, water back in those rivers. See, we don't just need the fire of God. We need the river that flows from the throne of God. See, when you allow God to align you and he establishes in your heart his throne, I'm going to talk about this just a second. I was preaching for a guy by the name of David Chatwell, and uh, Brother Woodburn knows him. Maybe some of you others do, but I was preaching for him this years ago, and it's back when I was crazy and more crazy than I am now. And, and Brother Chatwell said, you come held us a, a revival. It's like a chainsaw massacre. I mean, you just come in just cutting and, and just, you know, and so I y'all understand what that is? Yeah. <laughs> so I... Uh, you know, it was in that revival. I was on the platform, and one night, the, the, the whole room went dark. And I seen in the center of that room a throne. And there was this hideous-looking something on that throne. And it was just everything imaginable, just kind of creepy-crawly. And the Lord spoke and said, As of this night, I will destroy the throne of iniquity in this congregation, and I will establish my throne of righteousness. So anytime God speaks to me, I, I go to the scripture. All right, God, I want to find this in the Bible. So sure enough, I found in the Old Testament, it talks about a throne of iniquity, and it talks about a throne of righteousness. See, the pastor is not the one to determine in the congregation which throne is going to rule the congregation. He's not the one that's going to determine it. The people are the ones to determine it's either the enemy's throne or it's God's throne. And the only way it can be God's throne is by my obedience to the law of God and my obedience to the word of God. Iniquity is not just lawlessness. It's you removing the law and replacing it with your own. So every time the man of God walks to the pulpit and he preaches you the word of God and you say, I don't have to do that. I, that that's just old school. That's just... That's just that's just Brother Harvey and his ideal. And I, matter of fact, after he preached that the last time, I went home and Googled it. And I found all the websites. I hate upc.com. And I'm telling you, they told me I didn't have to do that. Boy, it is quiet now. I know the Internet's a blessing, but it's also a curse in some ways. But the deal is, but when you hear the, see, when you do that, you're establishing, I don't want God's throne to rule. I don't want God's throne to rule in my life. I don't even want it to rule in the church. Well, this is not a good first night for me, amen. It just, it, it don't work that way. But when you hear the word of God and you say, like when Moses come down off the mountain, three times he spoke to them the word of God and three times the people said, we will hearken and we will obey. Now watch what happens next. Moses and the 70 elders are caught up into the heavens and they see the throne of God. See, the moment that the congregation says, we're listening and we're going to obey, it opens up to the throne of God where the righteousness of God or that which is right is going to rule. Somebody said, amen. amen. Everybody still good? Amen. All right, hang on. All right, I still have, according to this, 12 minutes and 50 seconds. 
I said it for 50 minutes. So I'm going to try to stay in that time frame. If we don't, it's your fault. <laughs> All right, you ready? He said, I've seen this river flowing, a pure river. It's a water of life. And on each side are these trees. And, and it's, it's weird stuff. These trees and then the leaves of it's the healing of the nations. And every month it bears all that stuff and all. I got to noticing that if you start looking in the scripture about the throne of God, a lot of places you're also going to find in close proximity the altar. If we want the river of God to flow, it's going to come by and through the altar and us getting to the throne of God. Your city's arid. Your nation needs a river. And the way for that river to flow is for the people of God to go to the altar to put their ideas. I'm going to tell you, this end time revival is not going to come the way you think it's going to come. Man, a few years ago, come to me and said, Brother Morgan, I had a, I was seven days of consecration. He's on seven-day fast. He said, third or fourth day, God showed me something. He said, I seen this massive wheat field. And in the wheat field, there was a man on a, the way, I guess I can hopefully describe it, was a riding lawnmower. A riding lawnmower. And the angel of the Lord said, that's you. That's how much harvest you're getting. If you'll come with me, I'll show you God's intent for the end time. He said, Brother Morgan, we walked in this massive barn. And he said, when we got in there, there's a combine. Everybody understand combine? I don't mean that in disrespect. I just want to make sure. So he said, we, uh, there's a massive combine in there. And he said, the angel of the Lord said, climb up. So he said, I did. And I sat down. And the angel of the Lord said, you notice anything? And he said, I got to looking around. And I said, there's no steering wheel. He said, the angel of the Lord said, that's exactly right. The harvest of the end time has to be led by the Holy Ghost. Now, all this stuff that you think you know about it, we've got to get back to where we're going to the altar. We're going to the throne. We're hearing what he wants us to do. We're hearing what he wants us to say. And we go execute his will. Somebody help me out here just a second. Now, now, is this making sense? Now, let's talk about that river. There's healing in it. It's a water of life, which to me means spirit, and the healing is the healing of the nations. So wherever this river flows from the throne, it brings spirit and it brings healing. Whew. I'll say it again. It brings spirit and it brings healing. There's two things that your family needs, your community needs, our nations need, is the flow of the spirit the river of life flowing into it and healing to manifest itself. All right, y'all ready? All right, Sister Morgan, I'm about done. You can get up and dance now, shout and talk in tongues. Now, here's the thing. Where's that river really come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. Throne, yeah. But out of your belly, See, if there's no river flowing out of your life, that means God's not enthroned there. I want to say it again. If there is no flow in, of the river of life flowing out of you to your neighbors, to your friends and all, that means that there's no throne of God in your life. But wherever you show me somebody that has put him on the throne in their heart, I will show you somebody that out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. Woo, this spake he of the spirit. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I hear an old song saying, spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well. What we need, okay, let's, let's just, let's just, uh, I'm gonna get down here. Maybe I can hide from that light. Oh yeah, there you are. <laughs> now, can I pick on you here a little bit? I need you to own this whole pew. I want you to say it. This pew belongs to me and God. This pew belongs to me and God. Good. Now, see, there's people sitting on this pew 
that needs a miracle, that needs a healing. And you know what they're expecting? Me or Brother Woodward or whoever to do it. I hate to tell you, I'm too old and too fat to do it anymore. I'll help you. But man, y'all about killed me. I used to have long prayer lines, and I mean, I'd have to take seven days off just to recuperate from the prayer line. Finally, the Lord said, hey, you know, I I could help you with that a little bit. So here's the deal. See, there's people here that need a healing. I don't know, maybe salvation or whatever. But see, if you can allow from your throne room in your heart the river to start flowing down your pew. Yes, sir. Right? And it flowed. Now notice, he didn't say a river. He said rivers. River of healing, river of deliverance, river of salvation. Well, some of you don't believe what I'm preaching right now. I can feel you kind of locking up right now. This is not the law, and this is not the Catholic Church. Where the only one that can do anything is the high priest or a priest. This is the priesthood of believers. He didn't say out of the preacher's belly shall flow rivers of living water. He said out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And these signs shall follow them that believe. There ought to be such a flow of the spirit coming out of your innermost being that everything near you is aired and dry, gets a good saturation of water. So are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, now here's how this works. Y'all wanna know how this works? This is what I see God trying to do at this conference. This is what I see. Uh, How good and pleasant is brethren dwell together in unity. Notice he didn't just say in unity, he said together in unity. You can be in unity but not be together. You just study that one, amen. But he says, like the ornament that run down Aaron's head to the skirts and all. And then he says, like the dew that descended on Mount Hermon. And there God commanded the blessing for there's life forevermore. See, on the top of that mountain, it starts out as just rain, mist, snow, dew. It just kind of saturates the area. But as it creates its descent, it starts creating tributaries. Well, I'm seeing something with the Holy Ghost right now it starts creating little tributaries, a little trickle. And that little trickle starts going down. Well, the problem with that is a, 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 a limb, a rock, can create a dam against it. So this is how it starts. But then as it connects to another tributary, the flow and the momentum gets stronger yes. to where the little rock that may have stopped one single tributary can't stop it now because of the force and the momentum that's going. I'm talking to this whole area right now in the Holy Ghost. And so now it connects with another one where it's been just a little trickle. Now it's starting to create little streams and the tributaries get stronger. And the more it descends down that mountain, study it, the more it descends down that mountain, the more momentum it's picking up. And then it starts really all coming together. And when you get to the base of the mountain, you know what that is? That's the mouth of the Jordan River that brings life to the entire valley and the land. This is what God said when we come together in unity. In other words, it's not just you with your little trickle, but it's connecting with him and connecting with him. And things that are binding you maybe in your area, if you can connect with another tributary here in this conference and let there be a flow of the Holy Ghost. All right, I'm wrapping up. Let there be a flow of the Holy Ghost. I said, let there be a flow of the Holy Ghost. Now, what may have blocked you cannot block. Hey, a threefold core is not easily broken, the Bible says. One could put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand, and three, a hundred thousand. And when we start joint, now, 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 just listen. I, I don't know if you guys, maybe, maybe I'm bringing U.S. problems to, to Australia, but I get sick and tired of hearing I'm, I'm an autonomous church. Y'all know what the Lone Ranger is? Why in the name of God do you think you're the Lone Ranger, the Lone Church, and that you and your congregation alone can produce that kind of revival? 
I can't find that in the Bible. God didn't say, okay, you go there and do your own thing and don't, don't connect. This is a body. If I read it correct, if I cut my hand off from the body, it's going to die. But, oh, well, well, you know, Brother Morgan, you know, I, I just have a burden for my area. You should. You're the one to bring the fluid to that area, the moisture to that area. But God never intended for it to stay there. He wanted to flow down and start connecting. What in the world would happen to this area of the world if we would leave this conference with that understanding? We're going to connect. We're going to connect nations. We're going to connect regions. We're going to connect ministries. We're going to connect it. And brother, when you start connecting it and you bring that flow that you have and connect it to the brother next to you, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger until the enemy doesn't have a chance to stop it or to hinder it. That's what needs to happen here. I said here. Let it flow. Now, so, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it to you now. We're going to find out if you really believe what I'm preaching. I need, I need somebody on this pew to own it. Huh? Okay. You look shocked now, like, oh, my God, what I volunteer for. All right, you'll be okay. How about this one? All right, everybody here is backslid. How about you? You're the wrong one. How about you? All right. How about this, this, this row? Hmm? Y'all, oh, my God, what does he want? Crazy American, what does he want? Anybody here own it? Dear God. Who said it? You? Who said it? You. Thank you. How about this row? You, I own it. There you go. I own it. How about this one? Thank you, sir. How about this one? There you go. All right. I'm not going to go every one of them. I need, I, maybe I should. I don't know. And we're going to be here another 20 minutes. I need that. Somebody own it back over there. Every pew down in this building, every roll of chairs, I want somebody on that row say, this is my row. All right. All right, everybody. Now, if, if you're going to do that and you, you own your row, stand to your feet right now. Five o'clock a.m., I'm starting to wake up. <laughs> All right, we got the backslidden sections over here. Come on, I need somebody. If you own that row, stand up. Well, what does that mean? That means you're going to be the one to start the flow on that. And that, that river's going to start flowing down that aisle. And it's going to start healing. And it's going to start delivering. And it's going to start bringing victory. Boy, you better stand up. All right, everybody, look down your row. Look, make sure somebody's standing up. If they don't, you stand up. All right, we got, we got somebody there. I'm just checking it out here. Now. I want whichever one you stand, I want you to connect with the person to each side of you. Now just listen, here's what we're getting ready to do. We're getting ready to start praying in the Holy Ghost. And what's going to happen is coming out of your innermost being is going to be this flow of the Holy Ghost. What we don't need, how can I say this? Sorry. What we don't need is people damming it up. If it starts to flow down your pew, for God's sake, don't let it hit you and stop. Because I'll tell you what will happen if you're not careful. It'll get strong enough, it'll blow you right off that pew. Are you listening to me? You do not want to resist the Holy Ghost. 
this is not the way I'd do it. Well, okay, you're, this is the way God wants it done tonight. Now, are we ready? Seriously, are we ready? So all of you that are standing right now, I want you to start out by decreeing. It's going to start here with me, God. I want it to flow out of me down this pew. I'm asking you to heal everybody on this pew that needs a healing. I'm asking you to deliver everybody on this pew that needs deliverance. I'm asking you to bring salvation to every person on this row that needs salvation. Can you do that? And I want you to start connecting with each other. And then I want you to connect all the way across the aisles. And I want you to connect until there's just one big massive chain in this auditorium where people, come on, open your mouth and pray in the Holy Ghost now. Let it come out of you like a mighty rushing river. Let it flow out of you right now. In the name of Jesus. There's a river of life flowing out through me. There's a river of life who sets others free. There you go. We're connecting as a region. We're not just going to have a river flow to heal. We're going to have a river that starts to flow here that's going to remove some of the hindrances and going to remove some of the roadblocks and going to remove some of the things that have hindered and resisted. Come on, let it flow. Let it flow. If you start to feel it flowing in your life, stand to your feet and connect with somebody across from you. Come on, let it flow. That's it, let it flow. Don't stop there, there's a flow. Don't just pray a little while, but pray until there's a mighty flow of the Holy Ghost. Some of you come to this conference fighting battles. Connect with somebody else. Let the flow of the Holy Ghost minister right now. You come frustrated, you come discouraged. You come with questions. Let the flow of the Holy Ghost minister right now. That's it, let the flow of the Holy Ghost minister right now. revival this entire region start connecting tonight spirits that have resisted and bound let there be such a flow of the Holy Ghost that the resistance has to crumble that's it pray for each other that's it pray for each other that's it minister to each other
Hallelujah. Why don't we make this place into an altar tonight? Reach out to somebody and begin to pray for one another. Just let the Spirit of God flow through you. Out of your belly will flow. Oh, there's an anointing. There's a flow of the Spirit of God that's here. Come on, begin to pray for one another right now. It's a powerful word that we've heard here tonight. Let's be obedient. Establish that altar that the throne of righteousness may be established in our hearts.
Jesus, you change everything. Life. 